0: Hey everyone, you're listening to episode 56 of the Finish Line podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today we have Mark and Sharon Taylor with us to share their incredible story of generosity. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My name is Cody, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. In this interview, we talk with Mark and Sharon Taylor, who own a real estate business in Florida. Mark and Sharon have taken some phenomenal steps of generosity, specifically delving into making complex gifts through real estate, which we don't get to talk about all the time. They also have created a strong culture of generosity in their family, incorporating their kids into many of their decisions along the way. Stay tuned to hear all they had to share. Before we get started, I just wanted to ask one big favor of you guys. If you've been listening to the show for some time and want to support what we're doing, one very easy and free way to do that is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Just write whatever you like about the show and you'll help others find us. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're the first to know when new episodes come out. And with that, let's get to the interview. We have Mark and Sharon Taylor joining us today. Thanks so much for being with us and taking some time to have a conversation with us, guys.
1: Thank you for having us. You're very welcome.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves, where you're from, how you were brought up, and maybe your faith background?
1: I'll go first. I was born and raised in a really tiny town in Florida called Masaryk Town, which is back then was a Czechoslovakian community, so very ethnic, very traditional upbringing, Our church at the time, the Lutheran church, was like one of the only churches in town, and the services were even held in Czechoslovakian language. So there wasn't a church to go to for a long time. But finally, when I was about middle school, they got an English pastor. So that's when we really started going to church and that's when I came to know the Lord was as a youngster. Funny story, I was the church organist when I was in middle school and high school because there was no one else around who could read music. (laughs) That was kind of crazy. But I had one sister. I was raised by a stay-at-home mom and a dad who worked a lot. And my father was really an amazing businessman and entrepreneur. I mean, he started off as a chicken farmer and ended up being the president of a hospital and along the way did lots of real estate investment and things like that. So he just had the gift for entrepreneurial ventures, but he was really great about talking about business to all of us. So as I grew up, I learned a lot about business and in fact, he would make us partners in different companies that he set up. And so we would have meetings and you know, and we would learn all about how business worked. Another thing that was a little bit unusual about our family was we traveled a lot. And for the place I grew up in, that was highly unusual, but we traveled all over the world. And as such, I got a very different worldview than a lot of people that I grew up with did. You know, I saw people live in all states of poverty and all kinds of different situations. And it really had a big impact on me, which continues to this day. After high school, I went to the University of Florida undergrad and law school. And during that time, I met my wonderful husband, Mark. And so you can tell about yourself.
2: (laughs) (laughs) My story is a little different than hers. There are a few similarities, but not too many. I came from a fairly dysfunctional family. My parents were divorced when I was a year old, and that was long before that was fashionable, if you will. It's more fashionable in today's world. We lived in 12 different houses before I was 18 years old. My parents were both college graduates and worked really hard in their jobs. For me, in regard to business, I will tell you that I grew up watching my parents just complain about their work most of the time. They seemed to like it, but they complained about their boss, about their work, about how much stress they were under, whatever it was. And early on, I pretty well decided that I was going to try to work for myself. And so that was a goal I had. And so that if I complained about the boss, the boss was going to be me. In my faith journey, I got baptized as an infant, went through confirmation classes in the Episcopal Church. We went to church occasionally. There was no standard for us to be there all the time. I mean, there was discussion that went on about the church and Jesus, but it was more traditions than it was any kind of personal faith. I didn't understand that till much later. Actually, I was 37 years old before I actually got to the point where I had a personal faith in Jesus So that went on for a long time. My mother has an accounting background. And so the similarity between me and Sharon is that she talked a lot of business stuff. So I knew accounting terms as a pretty young person, you know, capital gains and basis. Those were terms that were thrown around our dining room table that most people, even adults I know, almost my age, don't know what those mean. So I knew them as a teenager. So that was helpful in the world of business to know some of those terms. When I married Sharon, she was a pretty strong Christian, and it became obvious to me if we were going to be together, dating first and then being married, that we were going to go to church. And so that was part of it. And I decided that I would do that, of course, because I needed to. Also, there was a time when that was the thing you did on Sunday. I mean, people went to church because that was the socially accepted norm. I'm not sure that's the case today. I hurt for that, but that's where we are. As we began to have children and raise our children, the church that she grew up in was very, very small. There was no youth group. There was no really good children's program. The pastor, while a nice guy and the guy who married us, wasn't tremendously challenging when it came to challenging us to have any kind of relationship with the Lord or to really even be in our Bibles. And so we decided to make a change. And it was a difficult one because her parents... Every Sunday, we had Sunday dinner at their parents' house after church. And so when we moved, that was a difficult thing to do. But those three years from the time we moved till the time I accepted Jesus were just incredible for me. Interestingly enough, I digress for a moment. In the Lutheran Church, there's the governing body within the church is called the Council. And I was president of the Council at our church before we moved. And I really wasn't a Christian. I was a good guy, thought I was a good guy, did a lot of good stuff. But just didn't have that yearning to live for Jesus. And so at 34 years old, when we made the move. I became surrounded by people who started telling me, Hey, you need to search out the scriptures for yourself. We sat under a pastor who challenged us to do things. For example, I'm a guy who ponders questions sometimes. Sometimes I get Pete for it because I ponder them too long. But, you know, one of the questions I remember him asking was, You know, if you're a businessman, you put on a great face on Sunday, but how do you treat people on Monday through Saturday? That was a question that really, I mean, had an impact, huge impact on me 30 years ago almost, and just to know. And so that was part of it. And we began to seek Jesus a little bit more. We also got to the point where we were really interfacing with just Christians. That became our friends. And so that's sort of the faith journey. Our kids grew up in church. We're real proud. We have a son and our daughter. Our son is a pastor. Our daughter is a leader in her church and leads Bible studies, and they just have, they're grounded in the faith. And I don't think that would have happened had not we sought the Lord the way we did back in those days.
3: I know you have a real estate background. Can you tell us a little bit about your career path and what got you into real estate and how that business has evolved over the years?
2: Well, yeah. First of all, we were involved in lots of family businesses. As Sharon told you, her dad was just a serial entrepreneur. He just had the gift of being able to do things. And he was great about teaching us to do business as well. He included us as partners early on in various businesses. But I will say that he was the man. Okay. So it was a little bit difficult in a family business. And that may relate for some of your listeners is as a younger part of a family business, trying to interject your ideas into the family business can be difficult if the patriarch isn't very willing. And as a patriarch, where I am today, it's sometimes a little bit difficult to accept those interjections if I'm too prideful and not willing to let my kids give me some advice. So we went through several different businesses. Well, let me say this. He had done some of what we had done early on in business. He As a hospital administrator or president, we had some commercial office buildings that were specific to medical offices, and with his connections, that was something that we were able to do. The company that he actually ended up selling out to and working for didn't want to be in the real estate business, so our family built some medical office buildings at that time because they didn't want to do that. So part of my initiation, if you will, was to manage some of those buildings handle the tenants, and so forth. The other thing that happened was early before I was ever married into the family, he would take large tracts of land and then split them up into acreage tracts and then sell them. He wasn't doing that at the time, but in the early 1990s, I saw an opportunity to do that in our community, and I came to him and wanted to do it with some of the family property that we had, and he said no. No. So that's why I relate the story of sometimes you have ideas and the patriarch says, no, well, I just knew it was going to work. I felt it was going to work. And so Sharon and I did it without them, without anybody else in the family. And it did work. And it was scary because we had to borrow a bunch of money to do it. We made an offer on a piece of property. And the realtor said, there's no way those people will take this. No way, no how. We had to ask them to finance it for us. And they said, no way, no how they're going to do this. And all of that was all happening during this coming to Christ time for me. And I just think that was all part of it, was he gave us the opportunity to move separately from some other business ventures that we had been involved in at that time. So that's how we got started. We bought several hundred acres and then split it up into 10-acre tracts, because in our area, there's a lot of gentleman farmers who like to have a tractor and a cow. And they think it's really a lot of fun. And then about 18 months later, they either decide, it's is a lot of work, or <laughs> they say, well, I still love this, and they keep going. So that's really how we got into the business. And since that time, we've done a lot of different things. We've done some commercial. We've done some residential. We don't do much in the way of very large-scale infrastructure projects, for the, your listeners who may know, you know. So when you have to put in lots of water lines and sewer and a lot of pavement and roads and bridges and things that can get real expensive up front. So our specialty has really been to find properties that have sort of problems with them, solve those problems, and then sell them to a developer who would go ahead and do some of that work. And that's really what we've done over the years. We've been doing it since, I think, 1994 is when we bought that first piece of property together, just Sharon and I. And they've been doing it ever since. And like our father-in-law, we've included our children in all of these ventures as well. So they have been partners with us along the way and are doing well in their own right, too. So that's how we got in it anyway.
0: Well, Sharon, I think you mentioned that you had a strong faith early on. And Mark, you were taking ownership over your faith journey in your 30s. And I'd love to hear from each of you how your faith Impacted or shaped the way that you approached business and how you navigated these periods where you're enjoying economic success?
1: I've always been very desirous of being obedient to the Lord. So I always wanted to do things the right way on the straight and narrow and, you know, make sure we, we did everything the way we're supposed to. We probably passed on a few business ventures we could have gotten into because we just weren't. 100% sure that's how things would work, you know, we didn't want to be on the edge there, you know, we wanted to do the right. But I always felt God bless that, you know. And as we started getting into these properties and things like that, we would go to the properties, we'd pray about it, we'd try to decide, you know, is God telling us to buy this one? Is he telling us to make an offer on it? You know, what are we supposed to do? And anytime we have really listened God has just blessed us and just led us down the right way. Other times, if we just sort of would go ahead without that, things didn't go quite as well. So, you know, we've worked really hard to do that. And as Mark has, you know, became a Christian and more and more grew in his faith and on, I mean, he really has become much more so that way. And that guides all the decisions that he makes.
2: Yeah, I would add, as we changed churches and we went to more challenging Bible studies and getting into the scripture. I mean, we had a pastor who would tell us, don't depend on what I say. Look at the scripture and see what it says for you. And so we began to measure our business against a biblical standard. And it wasn't against the world standard anymore. And there were times when I'm like, we're both sort of, oh, I don't know about this one. And there were times when we had situations where one of us, usually me was like, oh, we can do this. And Sharon would say, well, you know, I don't know how God's going to honor this exactly. And so we would just stop and reflect on that and really pray about it. She especially. And we began to do crazy things like tithe. Oh, my goodness. What a concept. We had always given to the church, but we just sort of gave it. was like, OK, well, this sounds like a good number. Let's just give this number. I mean, we would heard about tithing, but, you know, we had a challenge at our church. Hey, wonderful. how about you tithing? We took it seriously. So we did. And then before you know it, I hate to sound like the prosperity gospel or something like that, but it just seemed like when we were honoring God, he was standing there with us. I mean, he was always there, but it was like, you know, wow, this is really cool. That really made us want to do more.
1: But I think God does that as a way to teach and grow us. You know, it's not the monetary blessing. It's like, here, you can trust me learn from this that's happening. And he was really gracious uh, about
2: that. I've been to a few generous givers and other seminars. Our church has a general assembly every year. And I went to one of their financial things one year. And it was interesting because the speaker said he gets the question of, you know, well, I can't really tithe. I can't afford to. And he said, well, just start, you know, 1%. Start at 1% and see what happens. And then he gets the question of this was definitely us at one point. I can assure you this of should you tithe above the line or below the line? His answer, which was a great one, I thought, was just pick one. (laughs) And then once you do it, then you'll figure out where you ought to be. And I can I can assure you that there was a point in time when we were (laughs) we were not where we are today in that regard. And it's just been incredible how God's blessed it when you're faithful. And so we just keep expanding our borders if you will, in this area. It's really been good.
3: Yeah, and I know you guys have had quite an interesting journey in generosity. Starting from where you took that first step of beginning to tithe, what did it look like for God to kind of stretch you guys from there along the way?
2: Let me back up just a little bit and tell you that. So as a teenager, because of my sort of dysfunctional background, if you will, with a family, I met some guys, and I was involved with Kiwanis, which is a worldwide service organization. And I met some men when I was 15, 16 years old, and they introduced me to service. And it was so fun to help other people. I never knew that. And and, you know, I know people today that haven't learned it yet. You get so much more out of giving than you do out of getting. And I think that was part of the journey as well. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. Sharon came from a background that had some money, but if you had seen their home, you'd have never known it. They just—they didn't flash. They were very frugal in the way they lived. And so money in our marriage was never that really important to us. It wasn't the thing that drove us to everything that we did. And I think that's an important piece for our background. And we try to tell that to our children is while we have money, it's a great tool. It's a wonderful thing to have. But if that's what makes you who you are, Boy, that's a tough one. And so, again, going back to the biblical foundations that we looked at in the Scripture, we found ourselves really making sure that that wasn't what motivated us to be generous. But that's sort of how we started. And then we tithed, and then we started looking for projects to give to. And then, because it's interesting, so with the concept that you guys and the finish line deal with, our income goes way up or way down depending on the real estate market. I mean, there's times when we make nothing, really, zero. And then there's times when we make a lot of money. And so tithing is a little complicated because how do you figure out 10% of zero this year and whatever the next year? But it also, it gives us the opportunity of when we have some windfalls to do some really cool stuff. you know. So more than we give out of our extra. So we started doing some of that as well. And then Probably about five to six years ago, my wife started reading some books, and I let her take this part from here, and this part has really changed where we are.
1: I read The Treasure Principle and some of Randy Alcorn's other books and just felt very convicted about it because we have been blessed, you know, and I've always felt that it's really up to Christians because who else is going to support ministries around the world if it's not Christians? Anybody can give to the Cancer Society, the Heart Association. Those are all fantastic things to give to, but to support ministries, to spread the gospel, it's only going to be Christians supporting it. And if God has blessed you as a Christian with money, well, hello, there's a reason you need to be doing it. And so anyway, that really got me motivated and talking to Mark about it. And in one of his books, he mentioned generous givers. Well, I had never heard of generous givers. So I started looking it up and everything. And just so happens as God works, there was a Generous Givers conference in Orlando that year, which is only like an hour and a half from where we live. So I worked on Mark and he agreed that we, could, we should go to the Generous Givers conference. And it was really kind of life changing
2: for both of us. In fact, I would say that's probably the first time we heard the finish line concept that you guys talk about. Someone who was one of the speakers talked about, hey, we got a certain income and that's enough and we're going to give everything over and above that away. One thing that happened generally in this same time period, maybe a little bit earlier, was, again, I told you I ponder these questions sometimes and I ponder them too much, but somebody posed a question to me about how I was going to finish life well. I am currently 63 years old and I am beyond halftime, if you will, And I think it's important to know how you're going to finish life well. I think it's also important for a 20-year-old to know how they're going to finish life well. But for us, we start to think about those things. And so as we thought about how we were going to finish it well, we just knew—I mean, God just clearly opened our eyes and the Holy Spirit in that we wanted to do more for the kingdom. And we've just decided that's part of what we want to do, and that is where we are. And so— the Generous Givers Conference, we met some people that had some radical giving ideas. I'm like, whoa, you guys are doing what? That was sort of my thought. I'm like, and we met them. And then at the same time, I sought out a Christian financial advisor. Now, if you Google Christian financial advisors, you're going to get about 10 million hits or something off of it. I think there's a difference between being a Christian who is a financial advisor, and Cody, I may be stepping on your territory here. and a financial advisor who advises his clients as to what their Christian responsibilities ought to be. Because you can be both, and it's fine, but we met a man, his name is Jim Wise. He's with the Ron Blue Trust Investment Group, and he put us through some exercises to sort of determine what exactly was our, I'm using the term, responsibility for the Christian world. Because I think we as Christians have a responsibility. And so part of what we did was we created, or I guess it's kingdom advisors, I think, create silos to figure out where your heart is and what God would want you to support. And you should pray about it. So that was sort of the next step from us after going to Generous Givers. We went through that. I will say at Generous Givers, we kept hearing about the National Christian Foundation, you know, NCF, NCF, or this and NCF, that. And I'm like, what, the, what is that? And again, it's just Opening my ears, our ears, and listening, hearing about things that are going on have just been great for us in the last five to eight years to hear about ideas and thoughts. I am personally a guy, it was sort of crazy for me when I looked at some of the guests you've had on. I am not a great ideas guy. I'm not this huge visionary. I just go and do stuff. And I think to me, if I had a message on your podcast, was that, you know, We all want to be that person that goes and gives pure water to everybody in Kenya. Okay, well, most of us aren't going to ever be those people. But if we're just faithful and do what we should do and do a little bit more than that, then I think God will honor that. And that's what we want to do. But in order to do that, you have to sort of figure out what your heart and passion is to do for Christ. And that's what we've done. And so we have a couple. One of them for me is the advancement of the gospel. I just think that's an important piece that has to happen. I mean, the scripture says that when you know the last have heard, then Jesus is going to return. So that's an important thing for us. So that's something we support. And by the way, to tie that in and digress for a minute, so we don't have a income finish line. We have an asset finish line. I would be embarrassed to say what our income that we spend, our annual spending is, but we looked at our assets and we decided We needed a certain amount of money to feel comfortable and assured that we were going to live our lives well. And we decided beyond that that we were going to give the rest of it away and we were going to put it in the kingdom. And part of that came from a discussion with our advisor, Jim Wise, who said if you're a believer and you believe Jesus is coming back, which I think we would, and you had this huge storehouse of money that you should have put in the kingdom what would he say? So that was one of those questions that Mark Taylor had to ponder for quite some time. I can't imagine he would be happy about it. I just don't think he would. And so we are trying to take out of our storehouse and support the kingdom a little bit more. The other thing in regard to this, our past was, as we told you, Sharon's dad was excellent and wonderful with us about providing for his two children. He has Sharon and her sister, And he did a great job with that. And so we learned that and we did that for years and years. There came a point in time when we were working and pretty much all we were doing was gaining money for our children. Jim talked to us about that and we determined it It almost became an idol for us. And I think a lot of Americans today, their whole goal in life is to make as much as they can. And when they die, give it to their kids. And I don't know that Jesus could be pleased with that either. Sharon said not too long ago. Our kids have got enough. We should be putting it into the kingdom. So we are. That's part of our journey of generosity. We have now figured out that we ought to be giving more. We have a baseline of what we're going to give anything over and above that. We are specific in some of our giving as to specific areas of the gospel that we want to give to. So evangelism is one of them. We are very vitally interested in human trafficking especially with women. And we really are interested in helping women in places that don't have incomes to help them financially set something up. So for example, we funded something recently that will set up a workshop to train women on to create a vocation in Africa. That's the kind of thing we want to do. So that was a long (laughs) dissertation. So I'm gonna cut off.
0: (laughs) I think that message of Creating awareness of what the Lord's placed on your heart to support in with whatever resources He's blessed you with, and then simply obediently doing what He's instructed you to do. I can really relate to that piece of just once you become aware you just have to be obedient. And that is such a vital step that brings you into what the Lord is calling you into. And you can spend all day thinking and pondering and exploring, but you really have to take that first step for it to become a bigger part of your story as well. You mentioned this concept of a net worth finish line, which Keelan and I learned from the book, God and Money by Greg Baumer and John Cortinez. And that really broadened our understanding of different strategies that people can employ when trying to plan their own generosity. And Mark and Sharon, you have this, I'm sure, fluctuating net worth if you have assets wrapped up in real estate, and we've seen the market go way down, we've seen it go way up. And I'd love to hear if you're willing to share a little more about how you navigate and plan for generosity when there's so much uncertainty involved with picking a number, or what's going to happen next year?
2: So since we've deployed this strategy, which hasn't been that long, the market has overwhelmed us. Now, 2022, of course, will be a little bit different, but we, at the Generous Givers Conference, or maybe at a NCF conference, I don't know, we heard about the concept that some people would give away 100% of their adjusted gross income. Well, let me back up and say, when we first went and met with Jim about our financial thing, he did a projection. We told him at some point about how much money we'd like to keep for us through perpetuity till we die. And then, then, by the way, when we die, most of that's going to go into our giving fund. Our kids have gotten what they're going to get. And they know that. We're not telling secrets. They know it. But he gave me a number as to how much money I could give away every year and and still be okay. Well, I didn't trust him, so we tested it. We didn't really give quite that number away. <laughs> oh my goodness, it was crazy. Our net worth went way up. So I said, okay, well, give me another number. So he gave me the second number the second year. I think I pretty well believed him the second year. I'm not sure for sure, but then it went up again. I'm like, come on, man. We're trying to get rid of this stuff. <laughs> and so it's just been one of those things where we're like tr- trying to figure out what's the number we can give away till we start going backwards. Well, I got to tell you, in 2022, we're probably going to find that number because the <laughs> markets have not been that good, good to us. And we're pretty much sold out of our real estate. That's the way the real estate cycle works. We do well. This is sad to say, but we do well after a bust because that's when you buy real estate cheap. OK, well, right now there's no buying real estate, at least for our family. We're not in that business, and we're going to wait till the next bus before we get back in the buying business. But so I think 2022 is going to be a year where we actually, we're going to donate more than we're going to get. So that's sort of exciting, if you want to know the truth about it, because we've been trying to do it for several years now. We haven't accomplished it. Probably tell from my voice, I'm sort of excited about that. That's going to be fun. So I guess that's the answer. It's not a really good answer, but that's the answer. We just go and we test it. We try it. We see what happens. And when I guess when we get really uncomfortable, then maybe we'll study about that. That is the real advantage of the asset finish line is that we've still got a cushion there. If it goes way down, and we may not have as big a cushion as we thought we'd have, but we still have a cushion.
3: I think that that's actually a really good point about testing it because I think it's really easy, especially when we're talking about levels of generosity that are a big stretch for anybody, wherever along the stage they are taking that next big step. It can be overwhelming to think about at times that it's really easy to get into like an analysis paralysis kind of situation where you just don't end up ever taking a step. And so, you know, just kind of jumping in and testing things like you're saying and seeing what God might do.
2: The first number that Jim gave us was almost three times as much as we'd ever given away. Mm-hmm. So that was really, I mean, for me, me, look at that number and say, what? That was really hard. And I didn't trust it. I mean, I knew the numbers. I've done the financial analysis. And Cody, I know you're a financial planner. So you do that stuff and you can do the projections. And I'm sure most of your clients are always afraid to run out, whatever it is. And so that was one of it. But literally, it was almost three times what we'd ever given away. And it was a little bit scary. <laughs> and then... <laughs> I'm not scared about it anymore. That's the really cool part. I'm not scared anymore. I'm ready to go. We're not scared. We're doing it together.
1: I think one thing that was really interesting though when we started this route of generosity was I always imagined it would be so easy to give money away. Oh, we'll just write a few checks and it'll just be. It's hard. It is really difficult to pray and to ascertain who to give to, what, how much to give, how much to give locally, how much to give internationally. It's really stressful. It's because, you know, you want to do the best you can, you know, and you want to be honoring to God and, you know, you want to do what he wants you to do. But it's difficult. I don't know if other people have that problem, but we do. we just kind of like, okay, it's that time of year we need to sit down and do it. We do it a couple times a year, you know, it's like, okay. <laughs> I thought it'd be so fun. And it's hard. It's hard.
2: So. It is fun, though. Don't take it that away. It is really, it's really a lot of fun, but determining the final go-round is sort of difficult. Yeah. Yeah, And in fact, that's one of the things. So how we probably got to you guys was we made a donation through NCF to a giving fund of we are in the process of selling a piece of real estate and we made a complex gift with them to make it happen. And sort of the reason that that worked that way was we had set up a family foundation. We still have a family foundation and we use it, but it's small. And sort of our hope was that it would be big when we sold this piece of property and then maybe one of our children might even come in and, you know, I don't know, be the executive director or something like that, you know, but they've got their own lives and they're still interested. They love, they're generous too, but that's just not in the card. So when we learned about NCF and the ability to put it in a donor advised fund and then work through some things over time, it really made it a lot better for us and our family. Although we still have the foundation and one of the things we're teaching our children and hopefully our grandchildren, Sharon, can share a little bit about that. Yeah, why don't you do that? Why don't you talk about that
1: a little bit? Oh, Well, our Family Foundation, we get together every Thanksgiving when the whole family is together. And the six of us adults, our son, his wife, daughter, her husband, we have a certain amount of money we're going to give away. And everyone brings ministries that they would like to contribute to. And we discuss them all and ask each other questions about them all. And then as a group, we decide how much we're going to give away to each one. It's really fun because you get to sort of learn your kids' hearts. You know, like what are they passionate about and what are they really interested in? You know, they change year to year. Adoption is a big thing in our family right now. Our son and his wife have adopted two kids and our daughter is in the process of adopting from China. They got matched the month before COVID hit. And so though they've been matched all this time, they've been unable to go get him. So, you know, it's difficult, but so, they're very supportive of adoption related ministries and things. So, it's interesting to see how it's gone. And our hope is this year maybe to bring in our oldest grandson who's seven, but quite opinionated on things and very intelligent. And so, I'm hoping, you know, maybe to get him involved and find out, you know, what would he donate money to? You know, what would be important to him? So, we're going to start training him up early, you know, as best we can.
3: Yeah, that's a great idea to involve all of them. And I'm curious what you guys have learned along the way. It sounds like you guys have been kind of incorporating them to a lot of your family decisions for quite some time. What have you learned along the way of what is really helpful in teaching the concept of generosity and kind of stretching their hearts along the way?
2: It's been interesting because our children, our son and our daughter, have seen us do that from early age. I mean, they just knew that if somebody needed some help in the community or whatever, we would help out. We were always, though, Matthew six givers is what I call it. You know, Matthew six says, Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing and as you give as you help the needy. So we weren't big on letting people know that. And it's been a change in the last year or year and a half for us to even be on this podcast with you and tell our story. Because we just think Well, we know for sure that the influence that listening to other people's stories has made on us, and we just hope that by telling our story, maybe we'll influence others along the way. So our children knew that we gave. They really never knew the numbers and those types of things, but they knew we gave. And as they graduated from college, began to start their lives, you know, that was just natural that they would be part of it. But then they both got married, and both of their spouses came from a different place, We love them dearly, but they just came from a different place. And their families didn't speak as much about business and money as our family has done for three generations now. And so it's taken a little bit of time to get that going. But I can tell you the Thanksgiving giving time has been a huge blessing for that. So now all of a sudden our (laughs) in-laws... And our children understand why it's important or can be important to have business and make money so that you can bless others with it, as opposed to blessing from your absolute you know, last nickel if you have surplus. I mean, it's a lot easier. Now, that may not be biblical because the widows might. I mean, we might supposed to be given the last two coins we're supposed to have. I don't know. But I can tell you to introduce someone to this, it's a lot easier if you start with a little bit of excess first, and then they get the idea that generosity is a big thing. And these days, we've been doing this for a while, and they're very excited about showing up with their ministries that they want to support. And you can just tell they've done research, they know, because the first couple of years, you know, we'd ask questions about well, what do they do, or who are they, or what, you know. Now they tell you they know who they are, they know who the people behind it is, they know what the impact's going to be, they're ready. So that's been pretty cool. Yeah.
1: The other thing that's been interesting, which goes back to this big piece of property that we have that we're in the process of selling the whole family owns it. The four of us own it, but we decided early on that we were going to give a large portion of it to the kingdom and we're going to do it through NCF. And, you know, the kids knew from day one, that's what was happening. And so, you know, they were right on board with it. They're like, yes, of course, that's what we should do. So that's what is in the process of happening. But while all that was going on, our son and daughter-in-law had been in the process of trying to adopt. And they went to one adoption agency shortly after they got married. And a few months down the line, the agency said, you know, you really haven't been married long enough. We're not going to proceed with your adoption. Well, they were devastated, as you can imagine, because they really felt God calling them to adopt. So then they waited a couple of years. They went to a second agency jumped through all the hoops and everything, got their home study, got approved, got ready to be matched. That agency, right before Thanksgiving, actually, one year, a couple years ago, said, oh, by the way, we're going out of business. And they were just devastated yet again because they just knew God was telling them to adopt. So they were just distraught. The they didn't know what to do. So during the same period, this land complex gift with NCF is progressing, and we ended up hiring our own attorney because it was such a complicated process to do. And our attorney is a man named Charlie Kramer out of Orlando, who we have still never met, but we only talked to him on the phone. But he helped us through the process because he and his family had gone through a process with NCF as well. So he knew a lot about it. But anyway, we have soon learned one of his partners was a big adoption attorney in the Orlando area. And our son, that's where he's a pastor, is in the Orlando area. And long story short, they had a consultation with Steve Price, like within three weeks, they were already hooked up to a new agency. And literally five days after that, they got matched. And a couple months later, our grandson Jalen was born. Had we not gone through all of that, all those years with that property, getting involved with NCF, none of that would have happened. You know, it was just such a, story of God's faithfulness and his blessing to us, Mark dealt with that property for probably eight or 10 years, getting all kinds of zoning things done on it, working out all kinds of easement issues, just all sorts of difficult things that had to be worked out. And he just kept doing it, you know, very steadily all the way through. And then at the end, we end up with a grandson, which who'd ever put those two things together? But it was beautiful. And it was just a beautiful testimony of what God does, you know, how he works.
0: Yeah, that's a great story. And I think those kinds of experiences really open your eyes to opportunities to provide knowledge, expertise, other types of resources to someone else who might navigate some version of that same experience but you talked about this family gathering over Thanksgiving or during the Thanksgiving time frame, and everyone comes prepared with their research on different ministries. And I'm really curious how that evolved because I imagine that if it's a new concept to a family, it might be difficult to figure out where to start starting from what's important to me. What do I have? You know, what resources do I have that can support that and How do you give wisely toward supporting a specific cause? I'd love to hear how that progressed within your family.
2: So for our son and his wife, it's a little easier because he's a pastor. So he is exposed to things where there would be need. But he also, he and his wife are very active in their community with lots of Different organizations and they are involved with just lots of different things. I go through a whole list, but that's not necessary. And they just hear about things that need to be funded. So, for example, I know one year there was some project where I, I think it was a teacher, but she was needing art supplies to do a weekend program. It wasn't an after, it wasn't anything to do with school, but she just needed art supplies. So, we just funded a bunch of art supplies for her. You know, they heard about that from somebody who heard about it from somebody, and they just are very involved in in that kind of thing. Our daughter, she moved to South Carolina. She's been up there about four years now, but has become more involved in that community, and she's very involved in the adoption community. She's a Christian writer, so she's involved in those. She's very involved in their church, so she hears about things that way. I think that's an important piece is to have your ears open for what you would want to donate to. I mean, some people just seem like they go through life and Don't even pay attention, but talk about Kiwanis sometimes. I'm still involved in Kiwanis, you know, 35 years later. And we hear about the stuff in our community that needs doing. So by being involved in your community, be involved in your church, you hear about things that would need to be done. And again, because we had a limited amount of money in this giving time, the first couple of years, we had to figure out how to dole it out. So we had to, you know, which charity has the most priority in this to give this out. So we can't just give it all out to everybody because we didn't have enough at the time. We have more now. And so we give out more than we used to, but that was part of it. So our kids learned if they were going to come and sit in our living room and fight for their charity, they needed to come backed up with information about why their charity was more important than somebody else's charity. I mean, it wasn't was it? it's not real competitive, but it was a little bit of a competition.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I think a healthy competition. I mean, we all end up having to make those same kind of decision points in, you know, whatever works ex- exposed to, even if there isn't a group of people that you're working together with to try to give. And so I think that's great practice and building great habits to just go through that process over
1: and over. And it really is kind of a family building unity kind of event, because you get to see what the other person cares about. And even that may not be your passion, you can see it in the other person's face, you know, and so you want to support it, you know, so we've never turned anybody's ideas down because we want to do what they want to do. So yeah, it's been good to know a little bit more about each other's heart.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to come back for a minute to the property that you guys are in the process of giving away or or have been for some time. And you mentioned working with NCF, working with an attorney. Maybe you can just walk us through in a little more detail what that process looks like to give away a large gift or a portion of it like that and what your goals were and how NCF helped you through that process.
0: Yeah, and I might add to that question, what brought the idea of asset-based giving rather than giving cash out of a bank account, for example?
2: Okay. Well, let me take the last question first. We've known about asset-based giving for quite some time. That's not new to us. We've given appreciated stock in the past because we know the advantages of that. It just seems the prudent thing to do. I would back this whole thing up and tell you a little bit about my father-in-law. His goal in life was to pay as few taxes as he could pay and pass as much on to his children as he could. That was really his goals. And so we learned at various times how you can keep taxes down. So with the complex gift from NCF, it was sort of the same thing. They did some scenarios for us. And by the way, we keep talking about giving the property away. What we actually did was we created a company whose sole asset was this real estate. And then we gave them part of the company as opposed to the real estate. I think you could do it the other way as well, but we just did it by setting up a company and gave them part of the company So they did scenarios for us. It was purely a mathematical exercise, and there were three parts to it. The three columns basically were how much would the family get, how much taxes would we pay, and how much would charity get. And when you looked at those three numbers by doing the complex gift, by giving the company assets away before we sold the property, then in every case, it came up that the family would get more, we would pay less taxes, and the charity would get more. And the only complication thing for us, and this was the complicated part for our family. So you mentioned assets. So part of the reason it's easy for us to set an asset goal is we don't have a lot of income sometimes. I told you that earlier. We are a capital asset based family. When we sell assets, we buy groceries. When we don't sell assets, we don't buy groceries. That's just the way we work. And we've done that for a long, long time. I haven't had a job and pulled a salary for I can't tell you how long. And that's why it's hard for me to have a finish line with a salary because I don't get one. So by doing that, you know, with the three columns, we sort of knew exactly what were going on. But the problem was we were not going to be able to deduct the taxes until the property was sold. We entered this agreement with them before the property was sold because you had to under IRS rules. You have to be in the process before you have a contract. We didn't have a contract at the time. And we didn't know whether that property was going to in the real estate business. Anybody who knows anything knows it goes up and down. And it's up right now, but it could go down. And so we didn't know whether we are going to sell it a year from the time we went in this deal with NCF or if it was going to be five years or whatever. And you only had a five-year window to deduct the donation. And so fortunately for us, it was about 18 months after we made the donation that we entered the contract to sell it. We've sold about half of it now, and hopefully this year we'll finish the sale. There's some things we have to deal with. But anyway, so we'll come out whole in it. But anyhow you back to your question of the assets. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And then it's just really a medical exercise. And if a donor just gives cash, it's so much easier for the donor, maybe, but it's not very smart because you're going to give a lot of money to the government that you could easily give to the kingdom instead. That to us is the important part. We just want to give as much into the kingdom as we can. So our goals that are different than my father-in-law's are to dodge the taxes as much as we can and get as much money into the kingdom as we can and also take care of our family. So that's a big difference for us.
0: Sharon, you mentioned that these kinds of decisions of where to give, how to give, they can be challenging at times, but it's also a joyous activity and it's fun and it creates, I think, a deep sense of joy within the givers, especially, but also, you know, the family, the other people involved And I'm hoping that you each could share something that you're excited for coming up in the future.
1: Well, I am really looking forward to seeing the fruits of what we've given to, I guess, maybe the way to say it. You know, we've donated to certain projects that have a deadline on them. You know, they're going to run this project for two or three years, and then there should be a result at the end. I'm excited to see that. You know, how many people were helped? How did it all come out? You know, I'd love to see that. Personally, I'd also really love to As we've said on and on, work with our family and our get our grandkids involved in things like that, and see what they end up giving to and how their lives how they grow in this certain respect too. What about you, Mark? Well, for me,
2: it's been interesting. The last several years has given me almost a renewed goal in life, if you will. So I don't know that I was ever going to retire because in the real estate business, you can buy and sell property. Forever and ever, and whatever it would be, but at that point it was about well, for what purpose? Well, now I have a purpose, and this—if you quote this out of context, it'd be sort of crazy. But I want to make as much money as I can possibly make, and give it away to the kingdom as hard as I can give it away. So if you stop at the first half, you know, you quote me—I'm no different than the world, but I want to take the money out of the world and put it in the kingdom. So it's given me a little bit of a purpose now, because this is a difficult time for us with the way our family operates in the real estate business, because we frankly have sold just about everything we've got in the real estate business because it's on the way up. That's what we do. So I sit around and rest for a little while till the market drops. And then we reentered. And we've been through this cycle. This is the third time in my career I've been through this cycle. So I know how it works. And the question is, at 70 years old, do I want to jump back in? And the answer is, absolutely. I want to jump back in because now I know that I have a purpose for the money in which I will try to earn. And that's really, it's pretty cool for me. So that's what I see as my future. And that's going to be a lot of fun, just trying to figure out how to make it happen and then figure out where to give it to.
3: Yeah, that's interesting you say that. We've talked before with the concept of a finish line. At first, it almost seems like it kind of disincentivizes you to work anymore because you're like, oh, I've already reached what I need. Why would I continue to put in you know, more time and energy when I could, know, start to take the time off and relax? But then exactly what you're describing, I think, is the predictable course that many people seem to find, which is that once you start to actually see the fruit of all these seeds that you've planted from what you've been able to step into and be a part of, then that excitement makes you want to continue to work and to generate in order to be a part of more seeds and to see more fruit come. And it's just like a cycle that is really energy giving instead of energy taking, I think. And it seems like you guys have experienced that.
2: That is exactly where we are.
3: Well, this has been awesome. Before we get to the end of the episode, I did want to leave a minute for our manager's minute. We like to take a second at the end of every episode to try to leave our listeners with one practical action they can take in their role of managing God's wealth wisely. So Mark and Sharon, do you have any suggestions for our listeners? We
2: well, thank you for giving us this question in advance so we could think a little bit about it. Interestingly enough, the Holy Spirit has put the answer into this podcast at least twice that I've written down that we came up with. So I believe in taking a little bit of risk from time to time. In the business I'm in, you sort of have to do that. And I would say from Scripture, there's a couple of Scriptures that I would bring up to answer the question in Numbers 13. The spies go into the land to spy out the land, and there were 12 of them. And I, from time to time, challenge people to tell me their names. And most people can't even give me three names. Most people can give me Caleb and Joshua, but they can't tell me one other name of the other 10. And that's because Caleb and Joshua, with God's help, were willing to take a risk. I think that's part of what my manager's minute would be. I see so many people that worry so much about... I'm only going to give my money to someone or something if I know exactly where they're going to spend it and how it's going to be spent and the financials are there. I'm not going to give a guy on the side of the road $5 because he might go buy beer with it. And we would never encourage anyone to not vet some of the things they give their money to because we do that. But there's a first step, and that's what's come up. This will be the third time in this conversation today. There has to be a first step for everybody. And if someone is never given or hasn't had the opportunity to give, the first step is just to give, just to give and not worry about whether or not the person on the other end is using it well. Just understand that God is going to honor your obedience and your faithfulness to give the money. It has nothing to do with them. And I think that's the thing that so many people miss the passion of this because they just want to make sure that. That Every dime that they have is spent well. And the thing that we didn't talk about that's so important is it's not ours. God owns it all. And he'll do with our money what he'll do with our money. And if we give it to the wrong place,
3: then he'll do something with that too. So that would be what I would say. Yep. Amen to that. Well, Mark and Sharon, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and for sharing your story. God has been clearly at work in your family and in your business and in your hearts, and that's evident from everything that you've shared. So thank you for being with us today.
2: Thank you guys for what you do, and you're making an impact. Hey, thanks so much for
0: listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you heard on the show today, we'd love to hear from you. And now I have a quick question for you. Do you know anyone who's living a life filled with generosity, purpose, and mission? If so, we'd love to talk to them. They don't need to have a financial finish line, and they don't have to have all the answers. Just a heart to steward God's wealth to the best of their ability. If you know someone like that, we'd be honored if you would connect us. You can reach us on Instagram at finish line Pledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. And finally, if you want to find our references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 56. That's all for today. We'll see you next time.